Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. Law is guided by a code of ethics. Even warfare has as its core over two millennia just war theory. This can be traced back to the first century BC, which coalesced then further during the Middle Ages and has been further developed ever since. When we hear today about international law and the Geneva Conventions, these are an outgrowth of what happened 2,100 years ago. Even the American founding, the United States was built on an understanding of transcendence and the need for virtue, character, and ethics to be at the core of the American experiment. It's time for cybersecurity to have accepted and practiced boundaries on both offense and defense. Thanks to our advancements in technology, there is so much we can do that we couldn't do before. Thanks to new medicines, we're able to fight back various outbreaks, beat back cancer, and extend life. Through the Internet, we're able to connect with others and get needed information in mere moments. There's so much more, yes, we can do, but does that mean we should? Hi, thanks for joining us. This is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot, and yes, our technology, Gabe, has offered many benefits, but it's also brought new troubles and new challenges and ethical concerns around all of them. It's a topic we've dealt with in many ways on the show and around the Q community, and today we want to focus specifically on cybersecurity and cyber war and what it looks like to think ethically around these issues. Now, this is a topic that's coming up quite a bit. Over this last year, and I'd say almost daily now, there are reports about cyber and whether we're really secure in America from a cyber attack. I think as you talk to the experts, you realize, no, we're vulnerable. There's a lot of vulnerability. This is a new way that warfare may take place in the years ahead. And it's a new dynamic. It's a new front. So how do we as Christians think about cybersecurity? Yes, how do we? And while much of the world has their ways of thinking around ethical issues, there is a long Christian tradition and practice of thinking about ethical concerns, the whys and why nots of some activities, and why some activities, although possible, may not be ethical, beneficial, and may actually be a hindrance to flourishing, plus an affront to God himself. Now, much of this, again, is anchored in the nature of God, in his creation, and in humanity, what man is or what man is meant to be. Our technology takes these issues to a new level. Gabe, a few years ago, you talked with Leonard Sweet, who in 2019 released the book Rings of Fire, looking at some of the volcanic issues we face in our modern day. It was a long discussion, and you touched on many issues, including our technology and its challenges, and how to walk by faith in the midst of it. For the next several minutes, let's hear just a portion of that conversation. I think artificial intelligence, you talk about it so well in here, genetic engineering, 
information technology, nano, robotics. You know, these are some of the things we've talked about at Q over the last several years. Actually, a decade ago, I don't know if you know Shane Hips, but he, he gave a talk in 2009 at our Q event we had in Austin uh, on, this, on, on the cell phone and, and how it was starting to reshape our minds, rewire us, uh, make us less present, less embodied as human beings, how this was a problem and the church needed to be paying attention to it. Well, you fast forward to this past year, we had Andy Crouch uh, give a talk on the theology of cyborgs. And the idea being, what, what does it look like when you're asked to put a chip into your head? Or you're asked to get the chip in your wrist when you go to work to kind of track some things because it's more convenient. And, and we're trying to stay ahead of those conversations and help the church understand where this is going so that, so that we don't just half-heartedly follow along with innovation and technology and look at every new innovation and every new tech that's introduced and go, oh, this is good for the world. This is innovation versus having a bit of a view towards this where we're assessing, what is this going to do to our community? What is this going to do to my own humanity? How, how am I giving up part of who I am? And, and you delve into that in this, in this book, very specifically, some of these areas that it, it seems many Christians aren't thinking about, don't want to talk about, don't know enough about it to feel like they can engage it with intelligence. And yet it seems to me this is the front line. Like this is one of the most urgent areas that we need to be concerned with as it relates to how are we being human and and what do we have to offer to the world uh, as people who are made in the image of God and are struggling with the question of what does it mean to be human because of how much tech is starting to intercept our lives. Uh, And are you seeing it that same way? Are, Are you seeing this as one of those new frontiers that we just need to be smarter on and start teaching about and helping people understand, even if they start to roll their eyes. Yeah, well, I, I've been singing this song for 20 years. Um, and Bill Joy, who was one of the co-founders of, of uh, Java, when really invented that whole program. And, and with Tim Berners-Lee, he's the real one that helped to establish the Internet. He In 1999, as we went over remember that Y2 thing, um, he wrote an article, Why the Future Doesn't Really Need Us, and put it in Wired magazine. And that was required reading for all my students for a couple of years. But he's arguing, he's no interest now in theology or religion or whatever, but he's, ar- he's arguing that in these areas that I, I kind of acronym in the, in the book GRAIN, genetic engineering, robotics, artificial intelligence, information technology, and nanotechnology, we are going so far, the scientists, the science is going so far beyond any moral or ethical comprehension or even philosophical and metaphysical understanding. These, this is his phrasings that he argued that scientists ought to declare a moratorium for a few years on cutting-edge research in all those areas until they could convince the the philosophical and ethical and religious community to engage them in conversation because they were in a a new land, a new territory that there he knew there would be there would be dragons there but they didn't know where the dragons were and they really needed some some conversation with ethicists and theologians and philosophers to to come to terms with the cutting edges of these areas. And now this is 1999, Gabe. And, um, you know, I, I've been flailing that article. I, I've had lectures that I start doing this and everybody's eyes, you're exactly right, they start glazing over. <laughs> you know, I right. go, we're all cyborgs now. We've already crossed that. That the question is, how cyborgian do you want to get? And people look at you like, "What are you?" you know. 
So I say my mother, when she died, she was a cyborg. She had artificial, she had a pacemaker, artificial hip. She was part born, part made. How far do we go on this? And everybody's eyes glaze over. So, yeah, yeah. but your uh, the big one is AI. Let me just say AI will be to humanity what the invention of fire was, if not bigger. It will have that kind of impact on what it means to be human. And we have, we are just at the beginning stages of AI and if we don't start talking about artificial intelligence and what that means and its implication for our understanding of what it means to be human, I have a book coming out called A Jesus Human, where I just try and deal with this whole issue. What is Jesus didn't Jesus is the last Adam. He died on the cross, not to make us into Christian. I, I, the, I wanted to title the book, maybe, Will There Be Any Christians in Heaven? Jesus did not die to found a new religion called Christianity. Christianity is what we did to Jesus. Jesus is the last Adam who who showed us how to be the original human that God created us to be, the original Adam. And it's all about, the future has got to be all about humanity. Yeah. Now, I believe that the way to be human is, is through Jesus. So I'm a yeah. Jesus yeah. human. Yeah, but right. you've got to bring the particular and the universal together, and nobody wants to do either. They don't want to talk about the particularity of Christ, and they don't want to talk about the universality of what it means to be human. And that's exactly what the future needs. Well, and I think those questions are just going to come up more and more. The exciting thing about a future with a lot of chaos and a lot of unanswered questions is people start talking again. They start asking questions, and there's an opportunity for us to give better answers than maybe they're hearing from social media or from their friends or from their latest professor about what it really means to be human. Where do we find the the deepest uh, meaning and purpose in life? Some of those just existential questions every human being is asked but they don't always have the best answers. And that's been a key for Christianity as we look back over the centuries, is that the Christian faith did offer answers to some of these existential questions that were way better than what the rest of, of the religious world could offer or anybody else could offer, because it actually made sense. It was coherent. Uh, it aligned with reality the most. Uh, and so I, I think I'm so thankful that you're spending time working on this and thinking through it. I know sometimes it can feel lonely because you're you're, you're decades ahead of where other people are of their concerns, and then it's 20 years later when they finally appreciate your work and go, man, you were really on it. And so I what I want to say to our, our listeners is Leonard Sweet is somebody that you need to read now. This isn't one of those where let's wait 20 years to see how many of these predictions come true, how many of the questions that he's suggesting we will be asked as Christians that we need to prepare for. Absolutely, we need to be preparing for it. We need to be not only preparing ourselves, but preparing those who God's put in our care. And that could be your children. It could be your just friend group. It could be uh, people within your local community, your workplace, your church. Um, if we're not having conversations about the future and, and where we see the world going, uh, and how we can best intersect that, then I don't know that we're being faithful stewards of the moment. And you've been an incredible steward of that. So Lynn, in closing, will you just, as, as you look at the next decade and, and, and when we're talking to pastors, let's say it's, it's church leaders listening right now, which is a portion of our audience, but I want you to focus in on, on the church leaders who Sunday, week in, week out, they're teaching a sermon. They're they're trying to encourage their people. They're exhorting them. They're bringing them back to the Word of God and helping them uh, better understand, you know, what Jesus's life was about and what he called us to do. And they're, tr they're trying to teach around that. As you look a, a decade from now, I mean, where do you think our pastors need to be in terms of education on some of these issues, in terms of how much these types of topics should be coming up 
in any type of gathering that's gathering God's people together, uh, where we're talking about some of these subjects that I think for pastors sometimes feels off limits, doesn't feel like it's something that should be talked about in church. Is your feeling that this is going to need to become a more important part of the conversation? Well, I do think it's an important part of the conversation, but I do think that the most important thing we can do is lift up Christ. And and that is not being done, in my mind, um, nearly enough. You get you. We got sermons out there on how to on every kind of it's their appy sermons. How to have a here's the application. Here's how to you know have a better marriage. Here's how to have a better life. Here's how to make more money. So we're we're full of all sorts of of uh, motivational stuff. But the unique calling of a preacher is to lift up Christ. And, and in fact, if he be lifted up, he says, "I will draw all people to me." Christ is Christ is the draw, and I I just. I'm just trying to get if we just lift him up, he has the he has he has the power to change lives. Our our preaching no longer has the power to change lives, much less convert thieves on crosses or thieves hiding out in trees like Zacchaeus or thieves presiding at sumptuous tables like uh, like uh, Levi the public. I mean, you've got we we all we have to do is to lift up Christ and he will draw. And so that that's my passion, is that he's the one that can, we can navigate uh, and negotiate anything if we are following him, and he's in the lead, and uh, we're behind him, and just lift him up. <laughs> Leonard Sweet, as always, an interesting read and listen. This is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. And Gabe, you and Leonard, you were looking at our modern technology in a general way. And I appreciate him taking us back to God and to what man is and what man is meant to be, because that helps us answer so many questions regarding our use and misuse of technology. By the way, if you'd like to hear that full conversation between Gabe and Leonard Sweet, you can find it at the Q Media platform at qideas.org. If you're not a subscriber yet, remember you can request a free trial subscription. But now, Gabe, as we talked about at the start, how do these ethical considerations apply to the area of cybersecurity? Please set up that conversation for us, Gabe, and introduce our speaker. I think you're going to appreciate hearing from the expert that we've brought in to have this conversation. In nine minutes, Paul Marr, who is the president of Montreat College, is going to be helping us think about cybersecurity. Now, here's what's so relevant about Paul and what he does. At Montreat College, they equip students to do cybersecurity. They have a whole cybersecurity program. They aim to train their students with a technical ethical and moral framework necessary to become trusted leaders in the cybersecurity field. They coordinate with our government. They are working in conjunction with them, training up students who are experts in this category to help be a part of what our government is looking for in trying to create cybersecurity in America. And so he has this incredible knowledge base about not only where that field has been, but where it's going. And so under his leadership, this school has become the emerging leader in cybersecurity education. So if you're listening to this and you have a child, a teen, somebody in school that really loves the technical side of cyber and is interested in that field, I couldn't recommend a better place for them to explore than Montreat College. Now, Paul previously served as vice president at Gordon College and president at Sterling College. I think you're going to appreciate hearing this deep dive into a discussion around the ethics of cybersecurity. Let's listen to them. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. 
Today, in civilized nations around the world, there are no broadly accepted or practiced ethical guidelines for cybersecurity professionals. I'm going to address why civilized nations around the world desperately need a set of ethical guidelines and why we need people of ethics and character to implement them. Today, it is widely accepted that cybersecurity is now the economic and security threat of our age. For decades, the threat of nuclear war was the greatest threat of our time. But after dozens and dozens of meetings in Washington, D.C., over the last half dozen years with government officials and intelligence officials, I think we can reasonably make the case that cybersecurity has now emerged as both the economic and security threat of our age. Cybersecurity is constantly in the headlines. Major breaches and ransomware attacks are commonplace. Cybercrime was estimated in 2001 to be a $6 trillion cost globally. If it were its own nation, cybercrime would be the third largest economy in the world after the United States and China. Cybersecurity is shaping the budgets of businesses and governments all over the world. Cybersecurity will continue to grow as a, as a criminal enterprise, and the estimates today are that it will grow about 15% per year over the next years. If that's true, that $6 trillion price tag will grow to over $10 trillion. It's also the problem of the workforce gap. Today, according to the U.S. government, there are over 600,000 unfilled jobs in cybersecurity in the United States. If that trend continues on a global level by 2025, the estimates is that there will be 3.5 million unfilled jobs in cybersecurity. Clearly, the bad guys are ahead of the good guys. But there's a further problem, and that is the education of cybersecurity professionals themselves. You see, every two-year and four-year college in the United States that teaches cybersecurity teaches offensive hacking. That means that our university system is teaching our students how to steal your stuff. We do that at Montreal College, and the reason is because if you're going to teach good defensive cybersecurity, you have to teach the mind of the offensive hacker and their methods. And so, trust is fundamental to the cybersecurity profession. However, with the exception of faith-based colleges, American higher education stopped teaching the moral compass five or six decades ago. When you combine that with the fact that there are no broadly accepted or practiced ethical guidelines in cybersecurity, well, you can see we have a problem. Now let's do a quick survey of the history of the civilized world. Over the past 2,500 years, civilized nations have created ethical boundaries for our most important cultural engagements. Think about medicine. We have the Hippocratic Oath, which was developed between the 3rd and 5th centuries B.C. Law has a set of, uh, is guided by a code of ethics. Even warfare has, as its core, over two millennia, just war theory. This can be traced back to the 1st century B.C., which coalesced then further during the Middle Ages and has been further developed ever since. So when we hear today about international law and the Geneva Conventions, these are an outgrowth of what happened 2,100 years ago. 
Even the American founding, the United States was built on an understanding of transcendence and the need for virtue, character, and ethics to be at the core of the American experiment. While these codes, oaths, and and laws have been imperfect, and in some cases terribly imperfect, they have nonetheless provided invaluable boundaries for human behavior. It's time for cybersecurity to have accepted and practiced boundaries on both offense and defense. Montreal College, where I work, located in Western North Carolina, seeks to make a contribution to this space. For nearly a decade, Montreal College has taught cybersecurity education, and we're emerging as a national leader in that space. It's now our second largest major, and we've been invited to help frame the future of cybersecurity higher education for the nation. After 106 years as a college, we also remain unapologetically faith-based, rooted in historic biblical orthodoxy. Because of this, we overtly teach to moral compass, now rare, as I mentioned, in American higher education. The United States government, to their credit, recognizes both the daunting problems of cybersecurity and Montreal College's unique ability to contribute. And as such, they have asked us to write a book on cybersecurity ethics. We're writing for two audiences. The first are the students at the 450 or so Centers for Academic Excellence, as designated by the National Security Agency and the Department of Homeland Security. We consider that target audience, students in higher education and practitioners already in the field, as one target audience. The second target audience is the C-suite, the CEOs, CFOs, uh, boards of directors who generally know very, very little about cybersecurity and even less about their own responsibility and liability. Our goal is a bold one, and that is to create the Hippocratic Oath for cybersecurity. Although still in process, we're focusing on a set of ethical core principles that include some things that we talked about yesterday, that cybersecurity is principally a human business. It's, it's humanity over technology. It's man over machine. Another core principle is own your own mistakes. This is a direct translation of the timeless principles of humility and confession. Don't be a lone wolf. Again, translated from timeless core ethical principles that we don't have all the answers. And so when you're encountering a complex problem, you ought to collaborate with other people and seek wisdom. And so that humility and wisdom combined would lead you to say, I shouldn't be a lone wolf. This work is a translation, and we're going to translate it into case studies. So my co-author is a 25-year veteran, one of the leading cybersecurity professionals in the country, and he's been part of solving the problems of the largest commercial breaches in American history. We will map these core ethical principles to the case studies, providing what we hope to be a decision-making pathway for all cybersecurity professionals in the future. So what's our core value proposition? Well, it's actually not complicated, and here it is. The problem of cybersecurity is not principally a technical problem. The problem of cybersecurity is principally 
a human problem. And therefore, the solution to cybersecurity is not principally a technical solution. It is principally a human solution. If you do not have the right people of ethics and character as your cyber leaders and frontline professionals, your technology doesn't matter very much. Part of our task in these days is to translate timeless truth into what my good friend Sandy Sugar calls a sacred anthropology. If you're wondering whether this is even possible in our day and age, consider the following. The codes and oaths I referenced earlier were developed in the Roman Empire and in the Middle Ages. And if they could do it then, we can certainly do it now. Timeless truth can and must be translated to address the greatest challenges of our time. Cybersecurity is one of those. Well, again, this is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons and a talk there from this past spring's Culture Summit by Paul Marr of Montreal College, which is a Christian college that's become a recognized leader in cybersecurity and the ethics around it. I tell you, Gabe, Paul had a lot of big ideas around that issue to share. I love the way in which Paul points to the ethics of this, a conversation that we as Christians bring to any field that we're in. We don't just serve in these fields. We don't just try to be a participant in industries. We want to be part of the redemptive edge of these industries. We want to be people in those spaces asking bigger questions about how do we operate when we're actually working in these fields. And I love that that's what they're teaching. The fact that cybercrime, I think he mentioned in 2001, $6 trillion cost globally. Uh, this is amazing. I mean, the amount of money being stolen, transferred, so much is happening in the cyberspace that many of us just are completely unaware of. And it's a good example of how Christians need to show up in every single space. And so I hope if you enjoyed listening to this and you want to watch it, you want to see the slides, you want to invite maybe your kids to not only listen to a podcast, but maybe watch this talk. You can do that not only with this, but with so many of our talks and most of the talks from this pastor's culture summit at qideas.org. And if you do not have a media subscription, you can get that at qideas.org slash trial, where you get 30 days free to access all these talks and conversations. And I would say, Maybe this creates a great conversation, not only this talk, but so many others around these ideas that are so important and relevant for our children today and for us as adults. So hope you have a wonderful week and we'll talk soon. Few Ideas with Gabe Lyons is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.